Hi everyone, I'm Pankaj Mishra and you are listening to the Outliers podcast. It's a podcast, a series of conversations with outliers. Today I'm really excited and thrilled uh, because I'm recording uh, this podcast with the founder of a product. Uh, you know, I, I have a kind of a bias because I'm an early user. I'm, you know, recording this conversation with Mitch Grasso, who is the founder and CEO of Beautiful.ai. Mitch, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So, you know, uh, like I was mentioning, you know, I have really loved your product. So one of the things I have to watch myself is I, you know, I, I have to stay a curator of this conversation and not <laughs> become biased. No, I'm okay with that. <laughs> Absolutely, of course. Great. Uh, Mitch, uh, to start this conversation, can you give uh, us a sense of where you come from? Uh, give us a sense of who you are really before you uh, started Beautiful. Yeah, uh, that's an interesting question. Um, you know, I mean, I guess in the context of sort of being an entrepreneur and doing startups, you know, my dad was an entrepreneur. My father had uh, not not technology, but uh, a, a precious metal refining company. And I think, uh, you know, he had his own business and he ran it and he had a bunch of people. And I think that's what really started, you know, me thinking about, you know, that that was a, a viable path to, you know, sort of build your own business. And um, when I got out of, uh, when I got out of college, I lived on the East coast of the United States and, um, you know, sort of looking for things to do and, and ended up working, at a music store. Um, and the guy who ran the music store was an entrepreneur. Basically he had all these ideas of how he wanted to, uh, you know, sell CDs and, and, and buy and sell used discs and build databases around them and listening bars and all this interesting stuff. And I sort of ingratiated myself into that process and sort of became a, a, a partner for him. And, and, uh, you know, it was, it was really this first experience of seeing what it like took to build a business and, 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 you know, started focusing me on, on, on thinking that way. And, um, at the same time, I, I, you know, I started my career really as a designer, um, doing multimedia CD-ROMs and, you know, visual kind of 3D animations and motion graphics. And, you know, I, 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 I've always been a designer and ultimately, started looking at ways that I could take those design experiences and, and opinions and, and sort of turn them into products. And so all the startups that I've done over the years have been sort of design focused. Um, you know, this, this beautiful AI is actually my, my third startup. Um, the previous two, um, one was a digital signage company. Um, so these, uh, when you see LEDs or plasma screens and, malls and movie theaters that are running advertising. Uh, that was technology that and content that I built. And then prior to Beautiful AI, a, a company called Slide Rocket, which was also presentation software. Before we get deeper into understanding beautiful.ai, uh, can you look back at your entrepreneurial journey uh, across three startups, or, sorry, <laughs> the two startups that you had, and any particular lessons, Mitch, that you, you picked and you applied uh, at Beautiful AI? I mean, if you were to handpick some of those 
lessons? Oh, uh, there's so many lessons. I mean, a, a, every project obviously is, is is a series of lessons, both in execution and, and vision and, and how you emotionally approach the, 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 the work. Um, you know, you obviously mature and mature and, and you become, things become less intense and less serious as you, as you've done more of them. I think, you know, the, the, the biggest thing for me is as an entrepreneur, I have a tendency to want to solve every problem, um, and, and go really big and broad and, I think the thing that the last two startups really taught me was was focus and 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 trying to do specific things really well. And it's it's hard to uh, it, it's hard to bite off more than it's easy to bite off more than you can chew early on. And I think uh, you, you know, as an example, the digital signage company we were building technology that we would put into these malls and movie theaters you know, to mm-hmm. people who wanted to run their own digital signage network. So we'd sell the technology to a Macy's or a Nike town or a casino, and they would put these signs in and they would create content for them. But at the same time, we also tried to build an advertising network where we put the signs into malls and we, we sold ads on them. And this was just a monstrous undertaking for, a, you know, a, a 30, 40 person company. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, it, it, it was a struggle to keep that up with, with slide rocket, which was again presentation software. When we launched that company, we were sort of a microcosm of a big company. We were 13 people. We had business development. We had inside sales. We had support. We had engineering. We had marketing. We were selling to big companies like HBO and Time Warner. And we were trying to do freemium with individuals at the same time. And again, it was just a lot to bite off. Um, with Beautiful AI, the fir- this time around, I, I really focused on getting that individual experience right and 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 at the, at the expense of like you know chasing the dollars of, of bigger companies because I really wanted to get the 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 what I call the meatball um, mm-hmm. I, I kind of think of the product as a meatball and spaghetti sauce and the meatball is the core functionality what makes it unique what makes it different than anything else and the spaghetti sauce is everything that you expect to get like collaboration and billing and you know account management and you got to do all the spaghetti sauce but the meatball is the most powerful part but anyway i really wanted to focus on that meatball and get that meatball right because um you know that becomes the core and the most important part and and so really trying to stay true to that focus at least initially is is something that i've really picked up over the years uh, mitch now let's uh, get to beautiful.ai uh can you take me through the core building blocks of beautiful AI? You know, take me through the early journey, take yeah. me through absolutely early idea stage, what happened, and then we can dig deeper into the core building blocks of the product. Well, so the conventional wisdom when you build a startup or you you try and invent something is like you solve problems for yourself. That's sort of what everyone sort of says. Like solve your own problems and then you, you'll build these amazing things. And, and you know, so... Being a designer, starting my career as a designer before I became an engineer, before I became an entrepreneur, you know, th- that's a core thing for me is like, how do I improve the design experience? And, you know, when I built Slide Rocket, I was building a presentation tool for myself. I wanted a better PowerPoint. I wanted the best of Photoshop and After Effects and Keynote all rolled into one, stuck in the cloud collaboration, all this amazing stuff. But really, I was building a tool to solve my, for my, 
problems for myself. And that was like, I want more control over the design process. I'm a designer. I want to be able to position things the way I want. I want to have filters and plugins, and I want to have all these fonts and all this design stuff. And the thing that I realized with Slidark, you know, we grew that to a couple million users. We sold it ultimately to VMware, which was a great outcome, but it never really, really took off. And I think part of the reason was, or the biggest reason was, that our customers were not designers. They were given this tool that let them do design, but they were still frustrated. They would still create ugly presentations. And the realization for me was just that the process here is broken. It's not the tool of PowerPoint. PowerPoint's a fine tool. If you wanna do design and you wanna like lay everything out the way you wanna do it, great, use PowerPoint. My realization was that like most people are not designers and they don't want to spend the time doing that. They they want something quick and easy that still looks good. Something that lets them sort of be an art director instead of an artist. Uh, a, a tool that is itself the expert instead of them having to be the expert. And so when I when I left VMware after a few years after selling the company, I didn't really want to do another startup. I, I was kind of burned out. You know, it, it was a lot of work and a lot of effort. Um, I certainly didn't want to do presentations again. Um, but I still had this itch, this itch of like solving this problem of what if I flipped it on its head? What if I took what was an authoring tool and, and made it an anti-authoring tool so that you weren't doing all this design and you weren't making all these decisions yourself? And if I took my or others sort of best practices and knowledges of design and put them in the software, what would that look like? You know, and, and it's kind of about threading this needle or, or, or turning this dial between the ultimate flexibility of a, of a blank canvas authoring tool like PowerPoint and, and, you know, a fully automated sort of template design. And, you know, where do you find the right point in the middle where people feel like they can communicate what they want to communicate and aren't frustrated that they're not uh, able to sort of position everything where they want and do every exact sort of design decision. So with Beautiful AI, you don't make all those decisions. The tool makes them for you. And it's it's liberating and it's restraint constraining at the same time. You know, so now you can focus on a story. You can focus on what you want to say. And the tool does all the layout and the design for you. Um, and so a lot of that just came from the experiences of, of seeing how customers, you know, use the tool and thinking that I just didn't want to build another PowerPoint. Mitch, one of the things we have noticed in entrepreneurs is depending what is their strong, you know, I mean, what is their strength? For, so, for, for example, uh, in this case, you are a designer yourself. Now, when you are building a product, how do you make sure that you don't let this designer in you overwhelm everything else that it would take to build a great product uh -huh. uh, you know uh, and and it I, I don't know i'm just trying to imagine you know it, it can be quite a battle in that sense because a, a great product would definitely need a bunch of other things so how did you approach this how how did you go about building the product where design perhaps is in the driver's seat but there are other things also that yeah. come i mean that's a great question i, I mean i'm i'm fortunate in that like I can write code and, and do the engineering and I can do the product design and I can do the visual, the UX design as well. So 
that makes me sort of like able to kind of build all those pieces at the same time early on. On the other hand, that's a problem because you can't scale me. And I, at some point I have to sort of, you know, bring in other people and, 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 and we need to work as a team to get more done and, 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 and move forward. Um, so the challenge for me is not so much focusing too much on design, but again, biting off more than I can chew and, and, you know, trying to keep it constrained and sort of say, wow, I've got an idea of going over here. I don't want to go over here. I need to, I need to stay focused and, 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 and do, I'm not going to say one thing, right, but do sort of the core functionality and do it really well. And I'm a big believer that, you know, like, I, I don't really like MVPs. I don't know what minimally viable really means. Um, you know, I like to build things that feel good, act well, are, 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 are pleasing to use and, and, you know, and, and solve problems for the users. But at some point you need to stop. At some point you need to like, you know, constrain that and, 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 and get a product out. And so that's the hardest part for me is like, when are you done? You know, when is it ready to go? When is enough enough? Um, how many features do you really need to add? And, 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 and there's so much opportunity. There's so many things that I can think of doing and I have to restrain myself. But when you are trying to solve uh, a problem, which is as mainstream as presentations, for example, right? I mean, it's, it's like a holy grail in that sense. How do you ensure that you're not, you know, everywhere? How do you stay focused? You were talking about focus a while ago. So how do you pick features? How do you pick the problems? That how how was that journey for you, Mitch? I I try and look at. I have this five finger rule, and and I, as I think of like building a, a product or a feature, I sort of count off on my finger. Well, this is for people who want to build presentations but uh, don't like design and have the need to record audio and don't have a, you know, and if I start getting into too many fingers, I start to say like, this is too niche. And, mm -hmm. and, and I, and, and I hold off on that. And, and that's, you know, it's, it, it's a lot of its gut and a lot of it's just prioritization and trying to evaluate, you know, which directions to go. And, and, and you have to be, uh, you have to be kind of constrained about it. And I, I don't know that there's any great answer to how you do it, but it, it's important to just be aware of it. I guess that's the biggest part that, you know, it's, 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 I don't know. I mean, sometimes I worry that beautiful AI, I mean, I love the tool and it's amazing, but it has a lot of stuff and there's a lot of stuff in there. And, and, you know, I like building stuff and I like solving problems and everybody comes to you with a problem and, you know, it's tricky. You get customers or users and, you know, they want solutions to their problems. You, you get them excited about what you're offering and, and they want to see their specific problem solved. And, and it's hard as, as, a, as, as a product designer, like I want to solve everyone's problem. I want to do it immediately. I mean, I'm notorious in the company for like somebody comes in and says, I've got this problem or I've got this idea and I'll go build it that day. Uh, and try and get it out, you know, because it's it's so exciting to me to 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 solve those problems for people and make people more productive. Let's look at this through the lens of the first version that you got out of Beautiful.ai. Now, who who do you do you think you were building that version for? And in in building a product, sometimes uh, companies or you know or, or builders 
they they bundle a lot of features and then they start maybe taking them out you know as uh, you know thrashing it out in in that sense or the other way is to keep adding features so if if you were to look at the first version of beautiful.ai that you put out uh, what what are some of the learnings for you Mitch in 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 that sense uh, how was that experience well I mean, I, I think the benefit of having done this many times is that at least this time around, I, I don't think where I started is markedly different from where we ended up. I mean, certainly there's a lot more features and a lot more functionality. And it's a lot more stable. But from a from a vision point of view and even from a UX and a UI point of view, I think if I showed you what it looked like that first you know couple months, it, it would be recognizable. Um, I'm a big believer in solving the hard problems first. Um, when I think of a, a, either, either an entire product or any sort of functionality they want to build, like I really like to think, what's the hardest part that I'm not sure I can do? And let me solve that first. Because if I solve the easy stuff and I do all the easy stuff and I save the hard stuff to the end, uh, you, you know, and the hard stuff becomes impossible to, 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 to do, then I've, I've wasted all that time. So, you know, in trying to be efficient, I'll always sort of jump to the hard stuff. And so for me, in this case, the hard stuff was, you know, what does automated design look like? How can I like, you know, what's the user experience going to be? And it's a challenge in Beautiful AI because you, you come to this tool and you sort of have this preconceived, you know, you've, you've, you certainly you've used PowerPoint most likely. I mean, and 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 you have this preconceived notion of what a presentation tool is, mm-hmm. and the output of beautiful AI looks familiar to you. It's a presentation, but the process to getting there is very different. It's more automated. It's more controlled, and so a lot of it was like, how do I solve that problem? Of you come in and you and you go, where's the font button? Like, how do I change the font? Um, why can't I drag things around? Um, and so I think early on, I spent a lot of time thinking about, you know, what was that user experience? How could I make everything at everyone's fingertips? Again, the goal from the beginning was no power users. You know, there wasn't the idea that I'm better than you because I have more experience with the tool. I was hoping to build a tool where there never needed to be training because the tool was so obvious and easy to use. Um, I, I don't know if we've completely succeeded in that. I mean, there are issues or challenges with, you know, functionality as you start doing more and more that, you know, becomes a little less obvious to the user. You can't put everything in front of them. But I think early on, a lot of it was exploring that user experience as well as, you know, does this work? Like, do I feel like I'm using a tool that that's able to communicate what I want to communicate? We divide beautiful AI up into templates. We call them smart templates or smart slides. And, you know, you can add a timeline slide or a team slide or uh, a, a contact us slide. And you, and each of these slides is almost a little program unto itself. Um, they all have specific, you know, actions and, and UX to help you design that sort of stuff. So I think I started with a team slide and a timeline slide. Uh, the team slide seemed like it was something that had text and images and, and you know, a mix of that. The timeline slide had some complex layout stuff where as you move milestones around, I wanted the other milestones to move out of the way and flip on an axis. And so that was sort of the stuff I started with. One of the things I noticed, uh, and, you know, this is as an early user, actually, is the way a beautiful AI kind of balances the 
the utility uh, side of things with aesthetics. Uh, now, uh, you know, I don't know if I'm asking the right question, but how do you achieve this? Like, you know, th- there is this not just temptation, but there is this mission to 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 be a beautiful product that that users love. But then there is this utilitarian aspect of a product wherein you need to uh, have features and functionalities that are you know that have a utility. Yeah. So, so how how do you balance that? And and what the learning there? I mean, I think that's a, a great observation. I mean, I, I think that comes from, you know, starting as a designer and, and, and design being really important to me. And, and it's probably why I've always gravitated towards products that sort of are an intersection between productivity or engineering and design. Um, I can't not be focused on that user experience and the, and the design aspect of the stuff. It's just, it's just, you know, internal to me. I mean, it's important to me. And I, I don't believe that you know, even a utilitarian product shouldn't have a great user experience. And, you know, whether that means beautiful buttons or, or you know, what, or, you know, funny, great colors or, or, or just, you know, well-designed typography, it's just important to me. And it's, and it's worth the effort. It's, it's worth the effort to focus on that user experience. I think one of the things that was hardest in Beautiful AI, if you use the tool, there's a lot of fluidity, um, you know, when you when you transition between slide and slide, it, you know, it scales and zooms and it kind of feels like an iOS app or, you know, things fly in and fly out or, or when you move stuff around, it all transitions. And that was really important that, you know, that, that the feeling that the environment, you know, environment that you're working in feels fun and fluid and, and not sort of jagged and, and, and harsh. I mean, and, and it fits well, because at the end of the day, the tool is about building beautiful presentations quickly. Um, and, you know, on one hand, that's getting your information in, but on the other hand, and, and, you know, telling your story, and that's a big, important part, you know, getting the work done. But the whole goal of the product is to, you know, you tell your story, we make it beautiful. Uh, so that becomes part of the core, you know, value of, of what our product design is. That's very well said, which actually, you know, and, and, and I actually observed it as a user. So I thought I'll just ask you this. Uh, the other thing is you talked about, you know, letting the tool decide, letting the tool or a beautiful AI make some of those decisions for a user. And I know there is a very deep AI at play. You know, one can feel it actually. Now, I want to understand from you, where does AI start and where does it stop? Uh and this, this, you know, I'm asking that question also because as we are seeing the next generation of products being built, this is a question that many founders are asking. Uh, how much should AI control and where should it stop? So how did you approach this? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to deflect a little bit. Um, I mean, AI is an interesting topic. I mean, you know, what is AI? What does it mean? What is the technologies that really make up AI? Um, you know, you ask 100 people and you get 100 different answers. There's really a not really a thing called AI. There's machine learning. There's natural language processing. There's expert systems. There's, you know, all these different sort of components that go in. Now, we use pieces of that. Um, to me, what's not really important is the AI technology on the back end, but really the experience that AI is in the eye of the beholder, I like to say. 
And, and it doesn't really matter what the technologies that are using. What matters is if the user feels like the product is making decisions for them and, and that the product is smarter than they are, or at least in, in this context. Um, you know, from day one, it was clear I wanted to build opinionated software where the software had an opinion and, you know, you were kind of along for the ride. Now, we've softened that opinion over time because people push back and they want the ability to change this or change that. And so we open those things up. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, but the, if, from a technical point of view, the AI is sort of like the layout logic, the making the decisions around you've put a bunch of text or pieces, content, number of bullet points, images, where's that going to look best? What's the best choice for you to make? What we've moved away from is sort of saying, that's your only option to saying, here are a bunch of different options. This is what we suggest. If you don't like it, you can take it further or you can take it away from there. And so it's sort of a give and take between the saying, you know, here's our opinion. This is what we think. If you want to just like let the tool do the work. You can build a presentation really quickly, but if you want to go in and change font sizes and add a little extra, you know, annotation or call out or, you know, position this text on the left or the right, you can make a lot of those decisions. And and, and we're continually sort of opening up that the, the reins of that to, to give more flexibility to the user. But this is like, this is a constant battle for the product team internally, you know, is like how much flexibility do we give? And at what point do we, do we lose our identity as, as what we're trying to build, which is automated design, you know, design AI. Mm. That is really interesting um, because, you know, the way you describe it, it, it is going to be an ongoing battle, but I think as a product, it seems to be balancing it well, at least from outside. Good. I'm glad you think so. it's a lot of work it's a lot of going back and forth and sort of making decisions about like oh should we let people you know like for example when we launched the product like you could not change font sizes and and my logic was look why do you need to like it's 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 aesthetics at some level right it's it's an arbitrary decision it's like either it looks good here it looks good there it's fine I don't want you focused on worrying about what it looks like. I want you focused on what your story is. You're an expert at what you're an expert at. And you should be able to, you know, build your presentation. I can't do that for you. But what I can do is act as a designer in a box and I can make those decisions. And I can say, you know, imagine you had some designer and he'd be like, you know, I picked the font size. That's what looks good. Or she said, you know, this is the colors we should use, you know, and, and you need to keep some white space and, you're the CEO, you're the VP of marketing, you're a product manager. I'm not telling you how to you do your job. Don't tell me how to do mine. And so the product sort of took that attitude of like, we've got this opinion and we're, we're going to sort of force you into it. But again, because everybody's got this experience of using PowerPoint where they can do anything they want. You know, the thing I used to say is like, it's great. Yeah. If you want to build a timeline side, there's literally a billion different timelines you could build. But do you care? Do you need there to be, or could it just be there's a timeline? Um, and so as we move forward, we, we continually are sort of opening up those reins a little bit more and giving our users more power, F- trying to find that right balance. That explains. So from what you're telling me, Mitch, uh, you know, there is, there is this uh, school of thought wherein, uh, you know, which is like Steve Jobs, wherein he says that users 
don't have a clue what they really want or need, right? And and then there are other set of entrepreneurs who are always listening to uh, the customers and users, and you know they keep giving into all the pushbacks and requests and so on. So how do you approach this battle? Yeah, I, I think that's a good question. I, I I tend to want to be more like Steve Jobs and not listen to the user, but it uh, but but I do think the users know what they want. Um, I just don't think they know necessarily how to build the features of the product that 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 solves that problem. And so I think you know our job as product designers is to 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 listen to users, but not necessarily do exactly what they're telling us to do. Um, so we spend a lot of time, you know getting feedback and hearing what people are saying, but that doesn't necessarily mean they, they know exactly what they want. And, and our job is to sort of turn that into a product, to express those, those problems or solutions to those problems as features themselves. So, you know, it, it's hard to sort of go to a user and say, what should I build next? They won't necessarily give you an answer. You know, they'll give you an answer that's applicable to them, but they're not the entrepreneurs. They're not the visionaries. They're just looking to solve their day-to-day problems or make their lives easier. It's your job to sort of take the, that input and sort of turn it into something broader. I mean, everybody's got a specific problem. Everybody, got a, everybody has a specific complaint. And if you listen to all the squeaky wheels, you'll spend all your time just sort of addressing those one-off problems. The, the trick is finding ways to sort of gather them up into bigger solutions that work for larger uh, segments of, of users. And so we do that a lot. Um, they, someone might ask for a specific solution and we try and turn it into something that is applicable to a larger audience. Hmm. Well, that's really interesting. And I think one of the other essential building blocks, uh, I'm sure, is uh, the talent itself uh, and the organization and the culture that you have. Can you talk a little bit about uh, the whole organization uh, and the culture and who do you hire and why? Yeah, I mean, we're a small team. Um, We're less than 20 people. Um, We're in the Bay Area in San Francisco. Um, You know, we're uh, predominantly uh, engineering, marketing, and customer support right now. And, uh, you know, sort of divided fairly evenly across those those. Uh, uh, teams. You know, for me as an entrepreneur, I'm always looking to hire people who I don't need to spend a lot of time and attention on. The the best thing I can do is find people who are self-running, self-starting, self-managing. You know, my love and passion is not necessarily managing people. It's building product and, 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 and to some extent, even actually you know, doing coding and design, I still do that a lot. Um, and so I like to try and surround myself with people who, you know, don't require, you know, tons and tons of, 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 of direction and, and, uh, and, and, and feedback necessarily. And that really, you know, lets us get, you know, sort of teams together that, you know, know what needs to be done, share a vision and sort of go off and do it. And, you know, as long as we sort of start from the shared sort of collective vision of we're building this design automation product and design is really important to that and the user experience is really important and the customer success is really important, we can all sort of get on the same page and people can kind of go off and do what they need to do. And, and 
how much of time uh, you spend on you know a really science fiction view of things uh, what i mean is you know you have been at this problem for long mitch right i mean even your last startup was in this presentation space and you are attempting it again if you were to uh, you know look at it through the science fiction view of what's the future could potentially be uh, what is the wildest you know you think about well, that actually, I mean, the genesis for this really came from, from, from a science fiction from, and it's literally from watching Iron Man and, wow. uh, you know, Tony Stark sitting in his man cave, talking to Jarvis, uh, <laughs> the AI and asking Jarvis to paint the Iron Man suit. And he was sort of like, you know, that's too, too hot rod, make it, you know, a little more classy or something like that. And, and Jarvis went and gave him another set of color options and and really that the that was the idea you know it was like wow what would it take to really build that like what would it take to build software that that could could do that for you who could that could make aesthetic uh, decisions and and you know that became sort of the goal I mean that that's the vision the 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 science fiction view is you tell the computer you know build me a presentation on my product roadmap and out pops a beautiful presentation on your product roadmap that uses your brand and your styles and, and says, you know, pulls in information from, from, you know, all the relevant places and, you know, does exactly what you want to do because that's what everybody wants, right? Nobody wants to be spending their time building presentations. They want to spend their time doing their core job. Our goal is to, you know, you, you spend less time on this, this task, which is, inherently not something that you're an expert at and and is a difficult and frustrating one how do i visualize these ideas how do i communicate these messages effectively you know these are things that people spend years and years of training to become good at um and even then it's particularly hard um you don't find a lot of designers who are like i love creating presentations um it's 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 this necessary evil on one hand it's this great tool for helping you communicate your ideas, but it's, it's very difficult. Um, and this is why you end up with presentations that are predominantly bullet points because it becomes the easiest path is verbalize my ideas or, you know, just write them down and, and don't worry about visualizing, you know, these, these abstract concepts like time and growth and, and comparison and people. And so what we try and do is, you know, get smarter and smarter about saying, how do I communicate this idea? What is my intent? I want to communicate time. I want to show comparison. I want to show my financial growth, whatever it may be, and sort of giving you a di- bunch of different ways to do that. But as we get better and better, we'll be better at you know understanding what you want to do and, and getting you there quicker. This is fascinating, Mitch. <laughs> On a more final note, you know, in this whole man versus machine or, you know, man versus AI uh, debate that that is going on, one of the things that some human beings feel protected about is machines' inability to really visualize or, you know, especially when it comes to the creative uh, skills, right? Now, you you are watching this from such close intersections. Uh, How do you think this is going to pan out, you know, in the AI itself? That's another great question. Um, you know, the reason, you know, we don't use machine learning to 
design slides is because machines haven't learned how to design slides yet. Uh, you know, the, the aesthetic ability, the, the difference between, you know, making aesthetic decisions and sort of try a machine trying to learn what good design is, there, there's still a gulf there. Um, you know, yeah, it can make weird cat pictures and, and those crazy sort of things, but you haven't yet seen, you, you, we're not nearly at the point where we would ever sort of hand over to the computer and say, design this slide for me from scratch. I don't need to give you any input or any guidance. Um, you know, I don't know what it's going to take to get there. I mean, it, it's, it's pretty hard. And, and the other thing is that, you know, design aesthetics change over time. We're lucky from a product point of view that like, the, the design right now is about simplicity and cleanliness and lots of white space and not sort of 3D and ornamentation and all that sort of stuff. And that makes our job easier because, you know, for us, it's like simpler, cleaner. That, that works well with the sort of automation layout engine. Um, if, if, but these sort of aesthetics change over time. And, you know, again, you'd need sort of AI that's sort of adapting to that and making these aesthetic decisions. And, um, I couldn't predict at this point, like how long that's going to take. Um, it's something that we kind of keep an eye on and we're interested in, but right now it's more like a, a human designer is making sort of the aesthetic decisions and the AI is more helping with, you know, the decisions of how I can fit those pieces together than it is sort of making pure aesthetic kind of choices around color and layout and design. So we'll get there someday, but I, I think it's a while away. Jarvis. Final question, Mitch. And this is, I mean, what does entrepreneurship mean to you? Uh, you are at it again. And, you know, how do you, what do you seek really? Uh, is it an outcome? Uh, what is, what brings you back to entrepreneurship? You don't get fatigued. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I'm not going to lie. On, on some level, obviously there's there's a potential financial reward, which is appealing. And, you know, I mean, I sold my last company and that was great and I am doing it again. And, and so I, I think, but ultimately I think it comes down to control and, and, you know, being able to sort of set the direction, set the vision, do what you want to do and build something, you know, something that's yours, not that's something that's someone else's. And, that's what's appealing to me is like, I like, you know, kind of, you know, everything is designed for me, whether it's engineering, the product or the company itself. I mean, you're designing these things, you're solving problems and, and, you know, taking ownership and, and, you know, the buck stops with you. And, and that's, what's appealing to me. You know, it's, that's what my father did when he built his, you know, company. And that's what the guy I worked for at the music store was doing. And, it's always just been appealing to me, you know, to have that control and and lead that sort of vision to some place, whether it's successful or not. The process is what's fun. It, it's really fascinating the way you describe it, Mitch. And you know, I, I I ask this question almost every entrepreneur I speak with, and I'm I'm really fascinated with different answers. This was great fun, Mitch, and I hope to keep our dialogue alive and Godspeed with everything that you're building. Yeah, thanks a lot. That was a lot of fun. <laughs>